0: God be with you. So we just heard what is probably the most infamous, most popular Bible story in the whole thing. The parable of the Good Samaritan, yeah. But before we get into it, I wonder if we should reacquaint ourselves with it. Because one of the things that can happen with these really well-known Bible stories, these Bible stories that we can almost retell from memory without having to look it up, is that in the knowing it, we sometimes actually forget it. We can can become so used to telling it from memory that in the retelling and the retelling and the retelling, the story actually begins to change. Other examples would be the Christmas story. How many wise men were there? No, there weren't. We don't know, actually. In the retelling of the Christmas story, we just say there are three wise men that showed up at Jesus' birth. We've just told it so often that just becomes part of the story. But in reality, we don't know how many wise men there were. And in reality, they actually showed up months, maybe even years later. They weren't at the manger. But in the telling it and retelling it and retelling it, it just happens that way. Noah's Ark: what a wonderful kid' story. In the retelling of this story about death and genocide and violence, Noah's Ark has become this wonderful story about elephants marching two by two onto a boat. We've told it so often, we've lost the plot. And I have to wonder if we have that issue going on with this parable of the Good Samaritan. Because we can tell it so easily. There's a guy dying in a ditch. Two religious people ignore him when they walk by. But a Good Samaritan sees him. He helps him up. He drops him off at the end and gets him the help he needs. We hear it. Warm fuzzies happen and we leave feeling what a wonderful story. What a great sermon that was. I feel all warm and comfortable on the inside. But here's the thing. Parables should never make us feel that way. Parables should make us feel really uncomfortable. They're supposed to shock us into new ways of thinking and seeing and being in the world. That's why Jesus told them so often. He wanted to draw us into this new way of being human. This way he called the kingdom, this way of living as God wants us to live. And what we can so easily forget is with this parable of the Good Samaritan, it's supposed to be a really scandalous story. We're not supposed to like it. We should leave here being like, Ugh, that wasn't a good sermon. I feel feel uncomfortable. I feel shocked. If you ever read a parable and you leave feeling comfortable, the chances are you're reading it wrong. So this morning, with the time that we have left, we're going to try to re-hear this parable. And I want to try to point out a few of the scandalous parts of it. These things that should make us squirm and make us feel uncomfortable. These things that should shock and challenge us. Three things, if we let them, if we give them enough space and enough time, they can pull us into new ways of being human and alive in this world. Are you with me? Yes, awesome. Some of you are here. I'll keep teasing you until you're all here. So, because some of us... Is anyone... No, I'm not even going to ask. Let's reacquaint ourselves with it even though we just heard it, let's try to dispel some of the, the retellings that we've just gotten used to. So the parable is told as part of this conversation that Jesus is having with what in our translation is called a religious scholar. Uh, but being more true to the text, it's a lawyer. But not a lawyer as we think of today. Um, it's, a, a more, a, it's a religious scholar. It's a biblical expert. Someone who is well-versed in rabbinic law. And now let's, let's kind of depart from the translation we heard and let's assume the best of this lawyer. Because really, the question he is asking is a question that we're all here asking. He comes up to Jesus and says, What must I do to gain eternal life? Who here is asking that question? Yeah, well, two, yeah some of you are but really all of you are. Because when we hear that phrase, we're not talking about this place we go when we die. Eternal life is not the afterlife. Jesus is more concerned with life before death than life after death. Eternal life is this really weird and awkward way our tradition has called the life that is right here and right now, but a life that hums with reverence this life that is full of meaning and purpose and truth, this life that is deeply connected to the very ways and being of God. They call it eternal life because time almost comes to a stop when you enter into it. You're just such in the flow of it all, you're such in the pocket of it all, that everything ceases to matter and it feels like time just goes on and on and on. And in one way or another, we're all here looking for that life. We're all asking this question. What do I need to do to find that? And so Jesus tells him, Oh, you've read the Bible. It's love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But the man's not comfortable with that answer. He's like, no, how do I actually do it? Give me more information. and he asks like who is my neighbor though who am i supposed to love as myself who am i supposed to love as i love god and jesus as he often annoyingly does he tells a parable and the parable goes there's a person dying in a ditch somewhere on the road between jerusalem and jericho the person's been robbed he's been beaten he's been left for dead a super-religious person comes up, sees the person, crosses to the other side of the street, ignoring the man completely. And once again, the same thing happens. But then a third person comes along. And if you're a teacher, if you're in Jesus' shoes, at this point in the telling, you'd think it'd be kind of the savvy, pedagogical thing to do to make this person be a lawyer. Let's put the guy asking the question right into the story. What a great way to make it relatable. But instead of a lawyer coming along, Jesus goes a different direction, and it's a Samaritan. The Samaritan sees this person dying in a ditch, but instead of going to the other side of the street like the other two people do, he sees him, he goes over to him, he helps him up, he drops him off, at the inn, basically giving the innkeeper a blank check to do whatever he needs to do to take care of the guy. And then he goes on his way. And Jesus tells the parable and asks the lawyer, who was the neighbor here? And the lawyer responds, the one who showed him kindness. And Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. So that's the parable. And when we truly hear it, when we take some time to sit with it, I think we'll find it's really scandalous. It's pretty shocking. Not so much for its content, but for what it calls us to do, for what it calls us to think, and for what it calls us to be. So I've got three things we'll try to get through this morning. Three things for you to sit with, to let them shock you, and pull you into new life. So the first... This is one of the stories where the bookends really, really matter. You need to pay attention to what happens at the beginning and what happens at the end for the whole thing to make any kind of sense. So remember, the guy is asking a question about eternal life. How do I get that? What do I need to do to get pulled in to that kind of life? And Jesus tells a story. The guy says... Go and the one who treated it with kindness. And Jesus says, Yeah, go and do what? The same, yeah. Go and do what exactly, though? We heard kindness. Some translations have mercy, and some translations have compassion. And even others, and I like this one, say, To draw near. Who was the neighbor? Oh, the one who drew near. Yes, go and do the same. To be compassionate, to show mercy, is to draw near, It's to move towards the other, is to be present with the other. To find the life we're looking for, to tap into the life that hums with reverence, it means entering into the lives and worlds of others. Compassion. Mercy, justice, and love, Jesus is pointing out. And here's the scandal of it all. Aren't things that can be done from a distance. They aren't things that we can do from the comfort of our home and of our church. They aren't things that can fit into your schedules. To do compassion, to do mercy, to do justice, to do love. It means being interrupted. It means being inconvenienced. It has a cost to it. And Jesus seems to be offering a really scandalous truth here. That the life we're here looking for, this life of depth and truth and meaning, it doesn't just happen. You don't just pray a prayer and you get what you're looking for that life actually requires something of us. It requires us to draw near. It requires us to move towards the other. And if that's what it requires, that means we have to live with our heads up. That means we have to live with our eyes open, our hearts soft. It means being like the Samaritan who had his whole day and bank account changed just because he saw someone in need and moved towards him. So considering the stakes, I wonder if go and do the same is the most scandalous thing for us in this parable, because it asks us a pretty big question. Are you willing to draw near to others in order to find the life you're looking for? Because Jesus seems to be saying here that if you're not, that if we are not, you won't find it. So again, just like last week, put that in your pocket and take that home with you. Are you willing to draw near to others? Are you willing to be interrupted? Are you willing to be waylaid in order to find the life you're looking for? All right, next slide, please. So the second thing. This whole story takes place um, on this road between Jerusalem and Jericho. And this road is, is famous in real life for two important reasons. First reason, it was super narrow. This road was big enough for one person to walk down it. If two people came up, you'd have to kind of like shimmy side by side to pass each other. And to make it even worse, there was a cliff on the other side. So yeah, so imagine kind of walking down this road and you kind of got to shimmy past the person without bumping into them or are you are going to fall down a cliff? It was a very, very dangerous walk. Reason number two. Because it was a, such a dangerous walk, it was the prime place to get mugged because you couldn't run away anywhere. And it was infamous for people getting mugged and beaten and left for dead because if you walked down the road alone, there was nowhere where you could go. You would get mugged. And so everyone would know this road, and everyone would know that if you went down this road alone, you would probably get killed. And it was thinking about that part of the parable. It was thinking about this road from Jerusalem to Jericho and how dangerous it was that Martin Luther King Jr. said this. We are called to play the, the good Samaritan on life's roadside. But one day we must come to see that the whole Jericho road must be transformed so that men and women will not constantly be beaten and robbed. Next slide. True compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It comes to see that a system that produces beggars needs to be repaved. We are called to be the Good Samaritan, but after you lift so many people out of the ditch, you start to ask, maybe the whole road to Jericho needs to be repaved. This parable is pretty scandalous because it reminds us of the scope of compassion that Jesus calls us to have. That we aren't simply called to do what the Good Samaritan did for that beaten and robbed person. But we're also called to see why that person was beaten and robbed in the first place. We're called to see the broken systems, the structures and the attitudes that cause the hurt to happen in the first place. As one prophet in the scriptures put it, we are called to be repairers of homes and rebuilders of roads. That's our job. Our job is not just to help the people up, the individual, but our job is to rebuild the homes and repave the roads. That's the level of, that God calls us to operate at. So the question it asks us is, what are the unpaved roads of Jericho in our lives and worlds? What are the causes of loneliness? What are the causes of racism, discrimination, poverty, and climate change? And what can we do about those things? It's a bit scandalous because suddenly the job required of us is to think about, what am I eating? How does that factor into climate change? Where am I spending my money? How am I voting? How do all the things that I do contribute on the global, universal scale? The scandalous truth this parable offers us is that the personal is never enough. We must think and act universally. So again, put that in your pocket. Take that quote home and think about how you can be a repairer of roads and rebuilders of homes. And finally, the last thing. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of the lawyer for a second, or to really anyone in the original audience. What do you think will be the most scandalous part of this story if you were a first century Jew? Say it louder. The Samaritan. the Samaritan, yes. People would have stopped listening at the point of this parable when Jesus says a Samaritan walked up and helped the man because that's about the most ridiculous and outlandish thing that Jesus could possibly say. Samaritans were the arch enemies of the Jews. And it all goes back to this historical theological disagreement that this community had and it split into. But all we need to know is that in the minds of most of Jesus' audience, and certainly for this lawyer, all Samaritans were bad. They were the worst of the worst. They were the other, they were the arch enemy. A good Samaritan is an oxymoron. It's a funny, it's meant to be a funny title. And you can see just how much this lawyer loathes the Samaritans in the answer he gives to Jesus about who was the neighbor. Because he can't say the word Samaritan. The one who showed him kindness. He can't say the Samaritan. That says a lot in his answer. He can't bring himself to say the name of the person. The scandal of this story is that Jesus has a Samaritan being the exemplar. The scandal is that the person showing God's love and God's compassion and God's presence is the person who's a Samaritan, is the person you wouldn't just least expect, is the person who you would have said that's impossible to happen. A Samaritan can't possibly be how God moves. They're the enemy. They're the other. They're the bad guy. That's impossible. God helped me that way? No way. If the Spirit moves through a Samaritan? That's ridiculous. Can you hear the, sa- the scandal begin to sink in for you? Who's your Samaritan? Who is the person in your life and world? What's the thing in your life and world that it will be impossible, you would say, for God to move and speak through? The question this whole parable opens up to us is are we open to seeing and experiencing all the ways that God speaks and moves? Because if God can move through a Samaritan, maybe God can move through other ways. Oh my God, maybe God can move through rap music. Oh my God, maybe God can move through a circle. Maybe God can move through children. Maybe God can speak through other religions. Maybe God can speak through me. Oh, but that's impossible. No, actually, Jesus told the story once about this guy who met a good Samaritan, and God moved and spoke through him. Are we open and willing to see how God can move in and through all people and all things? Whether we're talking people or practices, are we ready to see and experience God moving and speaking through it all? The thing this parable seems to want us to think about. Is there one more? Yes. Am I ready for when God shows up in something I don't like? Am I ready for when God shows up in something or someone I don't like? That's scandalous. That's shocking. That calls us to do some really heavy and important work. But the good news is, for this question and the two before it, is that there's grace for us. Because when Jesus says, go and do likewise, it's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. If you want that life, If you want to find the life that hums with reverence, the life connected to God, each other, and yourselves, ourselves, this is the road you got to go down. You got to be open to things you don't like and see how God might be speaking through it. You got to show compassion, you got to draw near to people. You can't just flip a coin. You actually have to look at the whole structure and ask, how do we fix that so these problems stop happening? And then, and maybe this is the biggest scandal of them all, only then will we find the life we're looking for, that life full of grace and peace and justice and compassion, that life that hums with reverence. So knowing the stakes are pretty high, we leave with this good news, that there is grace for us in the journey, this grace that can support and encourage, pick up and dust off and help us find that life and do these really hard and impossible things. So as we sing this last song, know that, feel that, hear that, that while you are called to go and do the same, there is also grace for you and that grace is enough. So may you go in peace, may you go in love, may you go and do it loudly. And may the grace and peace of Christ be with you.